Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to the Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with writer, translator, and performer, Carrot O'Brien. Carrot first began learning Yiddish as a Yiddish Book Center intern in 1994. She received three new play commissions from the Foundation for Jewish Culture for her translations of classic Yiddish plays available on Amazon. Most recently, she tra- translated the memoirs of Clara Klebanova. A short excerpt from those translations ran in Pockentrager, the Yiddish Book Center's English language magazine, and this is the story of Clara Klebanova, a Russian Jewish revolutionary maximalist. Welcome, Carrot. Thanks, Lisa. I'm delighted to be here. It's always an occasion when we can schmooze about your latest project because you are prolific, if nothing else, my friend. <laughs> thank you, thank um, you. And um, this visit is kind of even more exciting than the last, but we always say that with you. Um, so if you'll allow me, I'm going to make the big announcement here for our listeners, yes? Oh, please do. Okay which is that we've been collaborating with you on the launch of a new Yiddish Book Center radio cast. Um, and this, for our listeners, is a phrase that we've caught, uh, well, we've coined, sorry. Um, and we're hoping that maybe it'll get some traction. So again, this is a radio cast series. The idea of the radio cast is to present serialized audio programs sort of a la, if I may, the early days of radio, which will be based on work in translation read aloud. And in this case, uh, it's going to be the Clara Klebanova memoir. So let's talk a little bit before we get started, um, maybe about the idea of serialization and Yiddish literature and also, you know, the place of radio in the early days for Yiddish immigrants. Well, yes, uh, you know, as many of your listeners might know, the major Yiddish dailies like the Forward and the Tug used to serialize uh, the works of great Yiddish writers by Sholomash or Besheva Singer uh, or I.J. Singer. And it was one of the things that people would look most forward to in their daily newspaper reading. Um, one of the other projects I'm working on is translating some plays by Sholomash. And when his plays opened, he was so popular that a novel that he was writing, Matka Thief, in about 1916, they serialized it on the front page of the forward newspaper. So it had major uh, space there. And when the jazz singer movie, the first talkie picture movie opened, a Yiddish version of it was serialized in a Yiddish newspaper as well, just to get people excited about it. So this was a very popular a theme in and practice in Yiddish uh, newspaper life. But also one of my great mentors that I was so lucky to know was this incredible Yiddish singer and broadcaster named Seymour Rexite. And he, together with his wife, Miriam Crescent, had a show for over 50 years on WEBD, sponsored by Maxwell House Coffee, about various different things, mostly about the Yiddish theater. And... Um, you know, we would talk together so much about the different styles of radio that was happening. And Yiddish radio was so diverse. Uh, it was, it had, you know, advice shows by cantors. It had klezmer swing band orchestras. It had soap operas. It had variety shows like the Forward Hour with the biggest stars that included singing and, and uh, you know, plays in, in serial form. It was just such a dynamic medium for Yiddish literary and theatrical expression that was a lot cheaper to produce than a play, for instance. 
And it's kind of cool. I mean, I know we've been talking about getting this sort of put put together for a while now, and it's great because it draws on the past and it also takes advantage of um, something that we're all, well, I don't want to use the word tuned into, but um, <laughs> so many of us take um, audio on the road or, you know, it's just it, it's an aspect of our lives because it's now portable, for lack of a better word. We don't have to be gathered in an armchair around the radio, but, you know, we can be listening to it in myriad places. Um, well, understanding that during the pandemic we can't be listening to it, you know, in a group. <laughs> but um, in any case, it just, it's kind of fun that, that this is coming back into vogue and, and with translation and all, all of this work, it's kind of like a, a perfect marriage of many things, Yes. Yeah, I think so. You know, I know my eyes are tired from working on a screen all day. So when it, you know, when I want to read something, I often listen to it now. Or if I'm doing something else, like taking a walk in Central Park or tidying up, I'll I'll put on a podcast that I like. And um, it it's a it's a very helpful way to escape into another world without you know while giving your eyes a rest or without having to look at a book if you're driving or whatever. So good. Good way to segue, um, escaping into another world. Tell us who was Clara Klebanova. So Clara Klebanova was this amazing activist. She was an upper middle class Jewish teenager at the dawn of the 20th century, living in Russia. And she had an older sister who was very politically involved, was actually arrested, spent time in prison, and would grow up to become Lenin's secretary, I believe. And they would talk a lot about politics, and she got involved with the uh, social, the, uh, Democratic Socialist Party um, as, a, as a young woman, and that led her to becoming involved with the socialist revolutionaries who believed that the democratic socialists weren't radical enough. And then uh, really wanting change, she, while still a teenager, joined this secret group that started in Bialystok among uh, Polish, Jewish, and Catholic textile workers to, or Christian rather, textile workers to really make a stand against what was happening in the Russian government at the time. And they actually used various violent tactics and assassinations of leaders who they felt were oppressing um, large groups of people. And so she was willing to die for her cause, but fate had it that she survived, came to America, began, uh, lived, lived in Massachusetts, started working um, to unionize textile workers in Massachusetts, and then, um, you know, lived a long life uh, to, to 90 and died in, her, in the 1970s, despite having this incredible um, political career early as an activist early on in her life. And she remembered it and remembers it in her memoirs, which were published in serialized form in the forward in the 20s, as the most exciting time of her life, the most meaningful time of her life. And how did the memoirs resurface and uh, come to you in terms of getting them translated? Well, I, you know, I'm often approached about various translation pro- projects, and this uh, university professor named Peter Kleben just contacted me out of the book, and he's out of the blue, and he said, I think this is um, a project that you would really like, and I wasn't sure, you know, you never know if something's the right project, and then I began to read it, and he had just had five episodes of it. He, he didn't know if there was any more, if there was just five, and I could see that after looking at the first five, that it was the beginning of a story, and there had to be many more. And I was just blown away by 
the authority of her voice, the incredible uniqueness of her experience, how she was willing to give everything, including her life for a cause. She became involved in revolutionary work and worrying about the 80 million um, nearly enslaved peasants of Russia uh, by through the literature, by reading Turgenev and Tolstoy and Nekrasov, and she, you know, wanted to do something to liberate everybody in Russia, so that people, so that the peasants would own their own land and wouldn't be working for pennies for other people. And, and she did everything that she could in her power, including leaving a very comfortable home life, to to make it happen. She was young when she began this. Yes. Yeah, she was about 16 or 17 when she, her last year of high school, she began going to socialist, uh, democratic socialist meetings and then getting involved with the socialist revolutionaries and, and then starting her, her parents did not want her to go and do political activism. Her father got her a job as a teacher in a Jewish school and she didn't want to do that. So um, she basically ran away, got an assumed name, joined other revolutionaries and um, her gift was as a propagandist. She turned out to be, and this is very clear in her writing, she really takes you along in her story. She turned out to be a wonderful um, speechifier or, you know, speech writer and speech giver. And, and she would go to meetings, bakers groups or little unions groups and, and convince people two, three times her age to join in her cause. And there was, they were sent to uh, Ekaterinoslav and where there was all of these factories and thousands of people would come out of the factories at once and there'd be the anarchists and the socialist revolutionaries and the socialist democrats. And she, as the propagandist for the maximalists who believed in the maximum program, you, change had to happen right now. They weren't going to be incrementalists. And if they had to use uh, terrorist tactics to achieve their aims, they would. And she would get a crowd around her and and was known for her her talents as a, a speech writer and giver and an, an inspiring political um, person, voice, rather. And um, safe to say, you you have deserved recognition for your talents, all of which I'm, I think are so interesting in terms of how so many aspects of your work, and, and you do work in a lot of different places, whatever pockets, I'm not sure how to say that, but you have many talents, and they are threaded together in this, um, bringing this program to uh, to fruition. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, just in terms of some of the research you did, how you surfaced uh, audio recording, um, and what excites you about being able to bring this work into this form, uh, audio having worked with it so long in terms of bringing it to translation? Well, it, it, it's true. It, this this kind of experience touched on a lot of things that I'm passionate about. I've worked on WBAI as a radio host and the Pacifica Network, uh, doing primarily literary programs, including Radio Bloomsday, a seven-hour celebration of James Joyce's Ulysses. And it just so happened that um, Peter Cleveland, Clara's distant relative, sent me a recording from the Pacifica radio network 
which is the same network that I have worked with, of Clara being interviewed in the 1970s, uh, shortly before she died. And it's just this dynamite interview. So we, during this podcast, I'll be reading her memoir, but at the end, we'll hear her actual voice. And because of my friends, Mark Torres and John Amella at Pacifica, we were able to get permission to um, use excerpts from that legendary, truly legendary recording of Clara's voice. And so it was uh, very exciting for me to bring that those two parts of my worlds together. But also I think I came to translation as a, you know, a theater person, as an actor. And what really got me going um, when translation in the early days, of course, is much difficult, much more difficult for me then than it is now. And I, I was like, but look, oh, just think of these, these great parts, especially, you know, God of Vengeance was my first play. And they're so great female parts in there that I could imagine playing and that I really had them in my head and, you know, channeling and imagining how to perform them as I was translating them. So a piece like Clara, which is, it's one strong revolutionary female voice. Um, it really felt as you're translating her, it really felt like you're performing her, you're being her, you're embodying her. And so to be able to take that one step further and to be record recording myself reading her memoir uh, you know that that's right up my alley obviously that gave me a tremendous amount of pleasure and I can only imagine if she knew um about all of this what her reaction would be yeah well I, I do have a sense because in her introduction to her book, she talks about that she is just representing an entire group of about a hundred incredibly brave and wild and gorgeous and powerful political activists called the maximalists. And more than her story, she wanted to tell their story and she spotlights so many of her cohorts, so many of her comrades in the revolution who died during assassination attempts. The maximalists kind of invented or popularized this whole idea of expropriations, which was taking money from banks or other organizations by robbing it and, and using it to fund their work. So I think she would be tremendously excited that these people, these names, the bear, the leader of the maximalists, her, her own um, partner, Lippa Katz, um, you know, all these other men and women who she fought and lived with, that their names were being remembered and said aloud again, I think would be very meaningful to her. Well, it's great. We have to thank um, Peter Clevin, uh, who you mentioned, who's a distant relative who brought this project to you and has been good enough to help us make it possible to share it out. Um, so the idea, again, is a radio cast for this. Um, the Maximalist is the title, and it will come out, yes, in 12 weekly episodes, each one, what, carried about 30 minutes long? Uh, about 20, 25 minutes long. Okay, so you can tune in. Um, and the specifics about this for our listeners is that you can find each weekly episode at Yiddish bookcenter.org backslash maximalist again yiddishbookcenter.org backslash maximalist um, uh, you'll find it on the website where it will live along with all of the following 
11 episodes, um, and we do hope everybody will tune in uh, for what we know will be a really fun thing. We won't have any spoiler alerts, I promise you, um, save to say that it's an amazing story and one that is beautifully translated and read aloud by Carrot O'Brien. So thanks, Carrot, for everything. Oh, thanks so much, Lisa. I'm so excited that you guys are doing this. It's really wonderful. Well, it was a, it's a, it's a long-in-the-works collaboration with you, um, and again, we hope it's the start of many more to come. So uh, tune in and listen to that, and um, until we have occasion to speak again, stay safe and um, keep working because everything you do is just keeps adding to the excitement of discovering all sorts of aspects of Yiddish literature, language, and culture. So thanks, Carrot. Oh, thanks so much, Lisa. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Thank you.